I walked into this women's leadership seminar a few weeks ago with my high heels on because those are my attitude shoes. Those are my shoes that I wear when I'm saying I'm serious, serious about women, uh, excelling and being the best they can be. I, I'm serious about women being leaders. So imagine my surprise when I sit next to this petite, sweet lady with flowered tennis shoes and jeans and a cute little shirt. And I was thinking, wow, how sweet she is. And little did I know, this sweet little woman sitting to my left is actually a retired Air Force colonel who um, happens to be able to shoot with both hands. She showed a picture of me holding an AK-47 in one hand and a pistol in the other. And I thought, wow, I bet that earned you some respect. But what I found on uh, asking more questions with Marilee Madero is that the respect that she has earned in leadership is not because she can shoot with both hands. Even though she managed 150 men, she's not respected because of, because of what she can do, but because of the way she leads by listening. People follow her because they want to report to a leader who is consistent in the way they lead and consistent in the way they listen and solve the real problems. So you will enjoy this interview with Marilee Madero. Get your girlfriends, get your glass of wine, and sit down. Join us for this. Okay, well, first of all, I just want to say thank you for having me on your program, and I'm really honored to be a part of this. Uh, to give you my background, um, I went to college to be a mechanical engineer. From there, I went into the United States Air Force and served in the Air Force for 30 years, uh, retired as a colonel a few years ago. In that process, um, I was married but divorced, was very blessed to have a wonderful daughter, out of that marriage, and she is now 26 and attending medical school. Very proud of her. So when, um, even throughout my career, I, I found a, felt a calling uh, to serve not only my country, but also the Lord, to be a light where I could. Even while I was in the military, I went on um, Christian mission trips, uh, received a theology degree and a, min a ministry degree, and I knew uh when it was time to retire, the Lord was going to call me into full-time ministry. I didn't really understand what that was. It took a little while. I always had a heart to serve overseas and missions, uh, continue to do short-term trips. And through that, it led to uh, establishing my own ministry organization. It's a 501c3 nonprofit. It's called Marilee Madero Ministries or M3 International. That's and the M3. Okay. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and I have to keep it like that because I do a lot of work in non-Christian countries. Yeah. I travel to Vietnam twice a year, Malaysia, Indonesia, uh, some places in Europe. And so I leverage M3 International and use uh, leadership development um, as, as kind of my cornerstone with that. And I do a lot of teaching overseas. And also a little preaching when I can, and they can kind of sneak me in. So, yeah, yeah. Well, it gives you a good um, introduction to the culture and an ability to have a, a voice and earn trust there. Yes. Um, and I know that you're traveling all the time. 
Yes. (laughs) You told me the last time I saw you that I probably won't be back home until maybe August. (laughs) You're on the road a lot. Yeah, about eight months a year. Though I I have a, um, I'm actually officially a Michigan resident. I have a family home here in Michigan that my parents built and I'm in the process of restoring it. Um, I have my ministry credentials here in Michigan. So I try to come back in the summer, work on the house, do some training, do some preaching, um, get connected with my minister roots. And uh, then I head back to Colorado um, where I, um, my ministry organization is based out of there. And that's where I launch on um, all my trips. Most of my trips are about a month long, sometimes six weeks. And luckily I have a, a wonderful housemate who takes care of my dogs when I travel. And so they're much nice. more comfortable at home. <laughs> oh, that's great. Oh, it's, it's nice to uh, make sure that the dogs have um, a happy place. We yes. were just traveling and we were on excursions every day and a little bit worried about how the dog was going to do um, driving around Seattle with us. And thankfully the friend who hosted us was very happy to keep the puppy at home. She said, he actually makes me quite um, happy. Just, just getting a little puppy cuddle time. And then I'm like, <laughs> wow, this is a great deal. <laughs> Cause we get our dog with us, but not with us all day. Yeah. Uh, it's so fantastic to have someone who can take care of that for you. And you just helped your daughter move. Right? Yes. Yes. She's uh, just finished her second year of medical school. She goes to the Frank Netter Medical School in uh, New Haven, Connecticut. And she was selected, a small group, only four of them uh, were selected to go do their third year, all the rotations up at a regional hospital up in Fort Kent, Maine, which is about as northernmost as you can. Yeah. So I drove out there, helped her pack up, helped her drive up to northern Maine, got to help her get settled, and then headed back. So it was about 2,400 miles. So, wow. And my dogs loved it. They love just hanging out in the car. So Oh, I, I hear you. They, uh, especially, we call it sniffs. We roll down the window and let them sniff every new environment. Yep. <laughs> it's kind of fun. <laughs> so, you know, you have navigated quite an impressive career path. Um, as a woman and as a mom. And I know that you told me in our conversation earlier that um, in, in all the ways that you have been recognized for your leadership, you've, you've really never wanted to receive um, too much attention for your position as a woman. You wanted to be recognized for your leadership. Can you, can you tell us a story about when you you had a leadership success and you needed to to teach that to the people in your environment? Uh, Sure. I would say one of my first big leadership jobs, I was a captain. I was stationed in Germany and and I had about 120 maintenance guys work for me. And literally out of the 120, only two were women. And so um, I I really learned to listen to them. It was a new environment for me. they were separated into five work centers. And so I I just challenged the leaders of each of those work centers. I'm like, you know, I don't know what you do every day, but I'm going to trust you. I want you to teach me the stuff I need to know. And I held them accountable to teach me the stuff that I needed to help them. And, you know, I wanted to just be there for them, but 
you know, to be fair and consistent. When you're an officer, you're the one that normally has to manage the discipline, the leadership, punishment, if it's if it's warranted. And so my goal throughout that um, was to do the right thing, do the right thing for the organization, the work center, and the individual. And yeah. Since this was a, a site in Germany, uh, we shut down after the Cold War ended and the wall came down. And and these guys had a choice pretty much to go anywhere because most people were leaving early. So an assignment team came out and they had a choice. Uh, you know, they could pick their next assignment. And I had already been selected to stand up the follow-on unit back in the United States. And what surprised me is most of those guys, like 60% of them, given the choice to go anywhere, followed me to the next assignment. And, and of course, I was pleased. Uh, and, and I was pretty surprised. So I, I pulled a bunch of them together. And I said, Okay, you guys, you know, I appreciate this, you know, we're, where we're going is a nice place. It's not as nice as say Hawaii and some of the other options. Why? Why did you come? And I guess what surprised me the most is they said, Well, first of all, you are fair and consistent. And mm-hmm. I thought, well, aren't all leaders fair and consistent? You know, is that <laughs> something that we're supposed to be? Yeah. And, um, and they said, no, I said, they said, you never played favorites. Um, you know, when somebody got in trouble, you were just, and, and we knew that if we did something wrong, that you were going to treat us fairly the, the same way. Um, you, they told me I had a chance to play favorites, but, but I didn't, they knew what to expect from me. They knew that, um, I was just there to help them out. I was there to get them the stuff they needed to do their job, but I wasn't there to kind of get in their business. And so right. that was definitely one of the highlights of my career. Um, Cause like I told you, I, I don't think I had a boss in my career or at least not very many that I would have followed to the next but assignment. You would have followed. Well, that's a, it's a great Testament. Um, you know, the, the, the one huge success story that I talk about is, a guy who um, was about to leave our firm and our managing director moved him from one supervisor over to me. And the only thing I did was take my hands off the wheel and let him do what he does. And right. that's how he thrived. He just needed someone to not micromanage him. Right. And uh, I wonder how you've been able to um, uh, kind of train or coach other female leaders to, to be able to, lead in a way like that that's really authentic and strong and and not trying to manage too many details well what's interesting is throughout my 30 years in the military I never really had a woman boss I I always wanted it Um, at one point my my last job I I had a woman in the chain and and she was so hard on me it was just terrible and and I saw that and it was kind of disappointing for me that throughout my career, I never had a female mentor that I could turn to. So early on, I tried, not only did I mentor all my junior officers, but I really tried to reach out to another, a number of women. Um, and, you know, it's nice. I'm still in touch with a lot of them. And and, and again, it's, it's all about listening. Um, if there's issues, trying to help them talk through that, um, you know, I was listening to one of your podcasts and someone really talked about the value of listening. And that's, that's so true because yeah. towards the end of my career, I, I kind of became a fixer. If an organization was in trouble, um, they'd kind of grab me and throw me in there. And, and even my last job, uh, the general was like, Merrily, there's so many problems. I don't even know where to begin. Just fix oh. it. And, <laughs> and it was really just all about listening. 
you know, Mm -hmm. there was a lot of people that felt like they'd been in the organization a long time and they didn't have a voice. And so even though, I mean, it wasn't a huge organization, it was about 60 people. And I set up time with each one of them. And I sent them a list of three things that I expected them to be ready to talk about when they met with me. I scheduled each for a half an hour. And I'm like, all right, I want you to tell me, first of all, what are your goals? You know, what, what do you want? You know, do you have a, I wanted a family goal, a work goal, and, and maybe some sort of professional development goal. Because I couldn't help them meet their goals. They couldn't attain their goals unless they wrote them down. And then I also asked them, you know, what are the problems in this organization and and what's your recommended solution? And, uh, um, and it was really good because the first person that came in, when he told me what the problems were, I immediately fixed it. (laughs) It wasn't that hard. And then the word kind of got out. Oh my gosh, she's actually listening and she's going to fix the problems. And so it it really only took a couple of months to turn that organization around because, It took a lot of time out of my schedule to do that, but it was worth it to give people a voice. And some people, that's all they wanted, you know, and that's what we need to do. Um, Listen. Listening accomplishes so much. Um, I've I've heard from other strong leaders that that's how they accomplish significant turnarounds in in an organization by going on a listening tour. And letting the people fix the problem themselves, just giving them the the ear and the equipment to do it. Well, and the interesting thing is at the lower levels of the organization, they know where all the problems are. Mm-hmm. And the problem is getting them to to elevate what the issues are. And I used to tell people, okay, I can't fix a problem I don't know about. You know, if you guys are going to, you know, stand around the water cooler and complain about stuff, you know, if you at least tell me what the issues are, I can fix them. But if you just complain yeah. about your yourself, amongst yourselves, how how are we going to know? And so it's about finding a way to bring up those issues and those problems from the lower levels, lower levels, because oftentimes middle level managers were like, oh, don't elevate that. You know, that's too small for, a, you know, a leader or that's going to make me look bad. But um, it's establishing trust within your organization and um, allowing those problems to come up to you so that you can address them. Yeah. You know, the interesting um, thing about trust that I was just going to mention, you were talking about managing 120 um, guys and two Mm -hmm. women in that one organization. <laughs> so I trust. Oh, go ahead. Well, yeah. Um, I, I can thank my, my time in an engineering school for helping me learn how to deal with all those men. So. Yeah. Sorry about that. Um, the, um, the interesting thing that I was going to, I got this weird interrupt in my, in my phone. So sorry about that. Um, you, um, when you shared with me that, that you were, um, able to actually, um, shoot a gun with both hands, (laughs) I thought, well, there's probably in you're this, this tiny little woman (laughs) (laughs) sitting next to me. I'm, I'm not,
you are able to uh, shoot a gun with both hands. Do you think that really helped you to earn the trust of the guys that you're working with? <laughs> well, it did help when I was in Afghanistan. So, um, yeah. But, uh, you know, I, I've, I've been lucky not to be raised to be defined uh, by kind of gender specific roles. And uh, I know we kind of talked about this, but um, my my mom was a farmer's daughter and she wanted none of that. Uh, and so she decided to go off to college and she was really frustrated that the only two options she could choose from, and this was in the fifties was to be a nurse or a teacher. And she went on to be a teacher and taught for many years. And even though it was just my sister and I growing up, um, I had a brother that came around when I was a teenager, but you know, she never raised us, um, to be limited in our thinking, even though I, I was brought up on piano lessons and ballet lessons. Um, when I thought about being a fighter pilot, she's like, yeah, go ahead, do that. You know, when I, when I decided to go off and be a mechanical engineer, she said, yep, that's great. You know, when I wanted to become a pilot and start skydiving and doing a lot of the other crazy sports I did playing hockey, base jumping, bungee jumping, she, she was very supportive. And so, um, I never felt limited that I couldn't do something because I was a woman. Yes. And, and so I, I tried to take that into the military as well. And, you know, oftentimes throughout my career, I was the first woman to hold a position. And I really always tried to downplay that because I wanted to be it. You know, I was selected because of my leadership. I wanted, I was selected because of my potential uh, to be a leader in that role. And so I never denied the fact that I was a woman, you know, I still wore makeup. I still look good, but I didn't want people to focus on the fact that I was a woman. I wanted to establish that I was a good leader uh, first and foremost. Absolutely. Let's go back to the influence that your mom had um, on you as you were growing up, encouraging you to do anything because she felt like her options were limited, right? Right, right. Back then it was almost an unheard of, especially, you know, for a farmer's daughter in Iowa to go off to, to college. But, you know, I'm, I guess I'm grateful that her parents, my grandparents were also supportive enough to support her dreams um, during that time. Yeah, that's really neat. And there are, you know, lots of really meaningful professions. I still think that teachers should make more than anyone. <laughs> They're so <laughs> influential in our lives. Right. Um, yeah, I love that she encouraged you to do anything that, that you had the mind to do. And she wasn't uh, afraid of letting you um, take a risk because that had to be really hard um, to let you experience things that are way outside of her realm of, of, of experience or influence. Right. Especially when I became a mom, you know, in the day mm -hmm. my daughter said she wanted to go skydiving and, you know, even though I, you know, I had 680 jumps myself, I was like, really, you sure you want to do this? And, you know, when our, when it's our kids, we tend to be a little uh, mm -hmm. protective, but um, luckily my, my daughter and I like to do a lot of adventure stuff together. We like to do a lot of skiing. She's a snowboarder. We like to scuba dive. And so we, we like oh, to do some fun activities ourselves. It's great to have that in common. Yes. So how old was she the first time she wanted to go skydiving? Well, you know, she kind of grew up as what we call a drop zone kid. So, yeah. you know, oftentimes in the summer, um, 
I would take her out to the drop zone and, um, you know, she'd help me pack my parachute. She'd help me. I, I would shoot videos for people doing tandems and, you know, she'd help me dub the videos and, and she knew that she couldn't really, um, you can't really skydive until you're 18. And, uh, you know, when she turned that, that age, I was pretty much deployed and, and had stopped jumping by then. And, um, so, but she always said she wanted to do it. And right before, uh, she, when she graduated, uh, college, um, at the university of Washington, her and a couple of friends went out and did it. So I wish I could have been there for it. Oh, so you weren't even there. I she wasn't was even there. Yep. And so oh my goodness. that was, that was, that was kind of frustrating, but you know, it's, a, it's a tad bit of an addictive sport. And so, it was probably better that I didn't go out there because I'd want to do it. <laughs> I'd want to get back and do it again. So I bet. Well, honestly, you know, if I were going to skydive, I would, I would want to jump with you. Cause I just want to be with somebody. I know I can trust. <laughs> well, my mom actually did a jump on her 70th birthday. You're kidding. No. Was it tandem? or? Oh, oh yeah, it was, it was tandem and I jumped with her. And so it was a, it was a good video. So I'll, cherish oh, that forever that's amazing so oh, that's that's so great and you know we have another thing in common that your our daughters both went to school in seattle yeah and um it's a beautiful place out there and in fact i have a friend who went um, um hang gliding on her 50th birthday oh yeah and beautiful place to do um <laughs> plunging sports yes <laughs> yes <laughs> One of these days, one of these days. Yeah. Uh, so now, now that your daughter is launching on her own, what do you think has been the greatest influence in her own leadership development? Um, I think just uh, taking a chance. She's, you know, quite the introvert. And, and it was interesting because she wasn't really in college interested in clubs or groups. You know, she was like, Mom, I want to go to med school. It's all about school. You know, I'd be yeah. the one calling her on a Friday night saying, why don't you go out? And she's like, mom, I got to study. And I'm like, why don't you go out? <laughs> you know? And so, um, so she's always been focused, but what's interesting is, you know, in Seattle housing is very scarce mm-hmm. and over the course, you know, she ended up always managing the house that she lived in. So, you know, at one point she's managing a house that's got eight apartments in it. And, you know, she was the one doing most of the work and, it was really interesting to see her develop into that because, you know, like I said, I'm a little bit of a fixer. I I think, you know, she is too. She's, she's very, um, she's an introvert, but she's very organized. She likes things done a certain way and she didn't like how things were done. So she managed it herself. And so, uh, and she tends to get, you know, um, she has a, a, a wide range of interests you know, she, she learned to play the piano and, and, and flute. And then one summer when she was with me, she's like, mom, I want to learn how to play the trombone. So I run into trombone for her. And, wow. and then she decided to uh, learn how to play the accordion. So she, she ended up finding an accordion online and bought it. And, and, you know, she just has varied interests when, when she was finishing uh, school in Connecticut, she's like, mom, I'm going to start to grow giant pumpkins. So she researched, <laughs> she did, you know, she got the perfect kind of giant pumpkin seeds, even up, up there in Maine, she got them to do a garden plot for her. So, she, you know, so she, she's passionate about being a doctor, but it, it's always interesting to see 
you know, what, what thing is going to, is, is going to catch her interest that, that she's going to get excited today. about. Yeah. Today. <laughs> so. What a great spirit of, of, um, just intrigue and interest that you've planted in that girl. Well, that's a great way to live life, to keep being curious and learning new things. Although she did it backwards for me. I started out playing the trombone, trombone <laughs> in fifth grade until we did this marching parade. And yeah. I went, I am not playing the trombone anymore. And I asked to switch to flute. It was so yeah. heavy. <laughs> yeah, it's so heavy. But she, you is- know, it was, it was interesting because, you know, I do a lot of shit, uh, leadership teaching and, um, and, uh, over Christmas, she actually did some research in Morocco. So, of course, she said, Mom, will you? And, of course, I just said yes. So I went to Morocco to help her do some data collection. And while we were there, she goes, hey, can you can you give me, you know, one of your leadership topics as I, you know, go up to Maine and kind of have to stand out? So I I have a presentation called, you know, Becoming a Person of Influence and, and kind of a 360-degree leader. And so, you know, we sat down, talked about that for a couple hours. And, and so um, – so that, again, was another thing that was like, oh, my gosh, she actually asked me. <laughs> um, so, you know, you just had amazing. We yeah. can be invited in front of all kinds of crowds. But when our own children actually want to hear from us, yes, <laughs> yes. it is kind of like um, reaching a new state of, of uh, um, credibility right. in the world. Right. You know, that's great. So I, you know, you always try to be a, a, a good influence. You know, it was difficult, you know, being in the military and, and being a parent and, and, and she wasn't always with me. Sometimes she was with her dad and, and, um, you know, I got some advice early on that said, you know, when you're with her, be with her. And so that's kind of how it is even now, you know, we have, we have friends and, and when she'll come out to Colorado, a lot of my friends will want to see her and I'm like, nope. <laughs> You know, it's, she's all mine. Yeah. It's, it's just about being intentional, you know, and letting her know that she's the most important person um, yeah. in the room when, when we're together. So that's a really good point. Wow. Um, we, we just uh, go over that often when we're on road trips together, the girls have actually asked if, if I could put the headphones away and be more present. And here I thought, well, they want to listen to their own music, so I'll just listen to a podcast. And and that's actually the opposite of what they want, that they just really do want your complete attention, even even if it's singing Disney songs. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's nice when you can transition to be more, you know, more friend. I mean, I'm always be mom, but, you know, I mean, we Skype once a week and and, you know, just chat about what's going on and what, you know, what's interesting. And, and um, you know, I feel like we've, I had such a great friendship with my mom that I love the fact that um, my relationship with my daughter is turning into that as well. Sweet. Oh, that's a great legacy. Yeah. Equipping her for life too. Yeah. That's and, my prayer. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, if that's the full circle thing, right? That's right. what we're here for is to raise up the next generation yet. Our um, job isn't done at 18 years. <laughs> we, right. uh, I love that you continue to um, plow forward with the inspiration in your life. And you're now, um, you know, you go from being um, one of the few women leaders in your, in your industry to now being one of the few um, single women working in ministry as a pastor. And you're navigating a lot of the same old rules aren't you <laughs> it is it is uh, I feel like uh, 
they don't always quite know what to do with me. I, I have a little bit of a, a, a different ministry, you know, a lot of kind of missionaries go somewhere and they are, are focused in a specific country and, and live there for a few years. And, and I, I don't feel like that's my calling. I feel like the Lord's told me, all right, go where I send you and, and just be ready. And, mm-hmm. you know, I still, I, I'm so blessed. I have some great mentors. I have a great mentor in Singapore. I have great mentors in Colorado Springs and yeah. that have opened the doors for me. And I, I just feel like I'm hanging on and, you know, next thing I know, the Lord's taking me somewhere else and another opportunity to teach or, or to preach has, has come to light. And so, um, it's, it's very exciting to see where the Lord's going to send me next. I, I have a big trip coming up, um, in August, uh, to Malaysia, uh, to Mm -hmm. meet with some, uh, Christian, uh, business and women leaders, um, in Kota Kinabalu, Malaysia, um, and really, uh, do some training and, and, uh, mentoring. And, and then a few of us are heading to Sri Lanka. And so we're going to be working with uh, a lot of, um, really downhearted pastors. And so, uh, we'll be doing leadership mm-hmm. conference. Uh, I'll be co-leading that and, um, really talking about some issues to, to really help the persecuted church there. And, um, so I'll be there for two weekends. And so, Really appreciate everybody's prayers of support as as we go to um, this kind of ravaged area and, and really hope to speak into the hearts and minds of, of those that were really devastated by the recent bombings and incidents there. Right, right. I'm glad you mentioned that because I'm sure that many people would be interested in knowing just how to support in general the work that you're doing because it's from the heart and um, your your story is so rich in terms of your own leadership journey um praying for the sri lanka um leadership conference what are some other ways that people can support what you're doing and um or even just stay in touch with with what you're up to traveling around the world yeah um my website is the best link um it's just www.m3international.com org org and so um, you'll see i don't use merely madero ministries because um, often these countries that i go to i have to apply for visas in advance i, I work in vietnam twice a year so i, I have to keep my my public uh, ministry face uh, a little bit more subdued yeah, uh, but m3international.org um, it's just kind of a simple website but there's a way that uh, you can get on my mailing list and there's a, a way to donate through PayPal. So, um, like I said, it's a 501c3 nonprofit organization. And so um, we're all about just being obedient to what uh, God has called us to do and um, really be a light for Jesus wherever we go. So in, when I teach in Vietnam, I teach at, um, I've taught at probably 18 different universities there now and a number of the major hospitals. I teach leadership there and um i i can't really um proselytize i do you're careful about that but i can always share my faith and so built into each of my presentation is how being a christian um, helped me be the person that i am you know the Mm -hmm. values the morals the integrity and um, really stressing Christian principles in my presentations. And we get the opportunity to mentor a lot of the students and teachers, and, and it's really a life-giving opportunity. 
That's beautiful. I love the way that you um, live an integrated life. Um, you're, mm-hmm. you're the same person everywhere you go. And it's exciting that you're doing, I, I feel like knowing you makes me feel like I'm making a better imprint on the world as well. Um, I know life in um, Vietnam, I have a friend who's doing ministry there. It's a different kind of uh, environment and you have to be um, all about love and less about um, the words. <laughs> right, right. It's, 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 it's amazing a, how people can really react to love. And, and it's a great reminder for all of us that that's the way we can we can all live on a daily basis and and just make the love of God more more available to people. Amen to that. Wherever we are. Well, I am so grateful for you to take time uh, with all of the stuff that you're doing, all your travels, and in cleaning up the farm. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thank you so much for taking time to be with us today, and I will definitely put the information on your um, website on my Facebook page, and um, and I'll. I'll send you the link when I publish this podcast so you can share it with your friends too. Um, you know, on this podcast, an important um, like exclamation point at the end of each interview is what's your favorite wine? And I know that you don't drink a whole lot of wine. Yeah. You don't have much time to sit and sip, yep. <laughs> but you have a good story to tell around um, a wine that you experienced. Tell us that story about the uh, well, when I was when I was stationed in Germany, actually, my husband and I were at different bases. And so the only place they could find a house for us in the middle was right on the Mosul River. And often people hear of the Rhine River wine, but not Mosul. And that's because they don't export it. They only export really the bad stuff. And so but there was in our backyard, we had vines, we had bincers that lived next door and down the road. So and Mosul is known for its very, very sweet wines. They have mm-hmm. an Auslese, Cabernet, Spätlese. And so um, I never really drank wine until I was in Germany. And then it was all about going to the different vincers and they would have wine festivals. And, yeah. and, uh, and so I, I, I learned to appreciate wine then. It was interesting is, is normally when I go somewhere, I'm like, oh, just whatever's your sweetest white is good for me. And, uh, <laughs> and my daughter and I were, were, when we were up in Maine, we were celebrating and, and uh, walked to the little restaurant next door. And, and, the, and I told the lady, I just something wine and sweet. And, and at first she said mosquito. And my daughter and I look at each other and we're like, wow, is that some like weird local, you know, wine? <laughs> <laughs> and then my daughter's like, I think it's Moscato. And Moscato. I'm like, oh, okay. Right. <laughs> so, so we tried it and, and I really enjoyed it. So nice. So we got to toast some wine. Oh, that's great. Well, that's yeah, a great wine region too. And yes. um, there are lots of good sweet wines in, in Germany. So um, yep. that, that's a, that's a fun way to to go about um developing a a taste for something new and i I love it sounds like mosquito doesn't it it's so (laughs) deceptive yes Uh, yeah so many um people kind of bridge the gap into wines through a moscato or something really sweet um so now i know what to have next time you're in colorado springs sounds good (laughs) love to get to um get you in front of some of the professional women that, that meet down here, um, Christian women who are, are trying to, to live their best in their whole life. And um, next time you are back in Colorado Springs, we'll talk again about seeing you, um, hearing more about your story. Sounds great. Good deal. Well, enjoy your trip and thanks so much for your time today. I will 
um, really look forward to connecting with you again in the future. Sounds great. Many okay. prayers and blessings to you and, and your work as well. Appreciate that, Marilee. Take care. Okay. Bye. Bye. I'm so glad you took the time to have a glass of wine with the girls today. I hope you found something that you can take back into your life that moves you from surviving to thriving in your workday and every day. If you love the conversation here, you might like to get on my mail list. Just go to 360lifestrategies.com and sign up. Heck, check out the blog or the retreats page if the subject caught your attention. There are other places where we can hang out. You need strategies for your everyday life? Look up 360 Life Strategies on Facebook or Pinterest where you can find my wine palace. Or suit your soul with everyday inspiration on Instagram at Donna Carlson 360. I hope you'll come again, bring a friend, and let us know what you think of this podcast. Heck, if you'll take 30 seconds and rate us now, we can keep bringing you strategies that make work in life work for you. Until next time. Thank you.